Hello, this is Lawrence Mozafari, and if it's the first time you're joining me, welcome to Time of My Life. For those of you that have listened before, you'll know that this podcast is all about life lessons and wisdom and pearls of wisdom, essentially, from older generations. Kind of the whole idea of the podcast is to capture those lovely messages and uh, wisdom and learnings and life lessons and advice for future generations to enjoy and take advantage of. This all came about from my grandmother, Nikki Gullett, Edith Gullett officially. Um, And as I said in the very first episode, I kind of loved spending hours talking with her about the state of the world and and how things are going to be. We used to talk for hours and hours and Back in 2019, which feels like a million years ago now, before the pandemic, I finally got round to kind of recording a first version of what I thought this podcast was going to be. And there was only one person I wanted to start it with. I spoke with my nan for about two hours about her life, the future, us as a family, things about her growing up in the Blitz, her brothers during the war, meeting my granddad, meeting her first uh, boyfriend who she got engaged to, who wasn't my granddad. And we had laughs and it was really nice. And I kind of sat on that and then launched this podcast. Unfortunately, at the tail end of 2021 and into 2022, we lost my grandmother. She became quite ill and um, for a period during lockdown, I managed to go and see her in in a care home which she had to move into. And the staff looked after her really well. And I was very, very lucky to have a lot more time with her and a lot more of those conversations, but she certainly did wane. I was also lucky enough to give her the chance to be the very first person that heard the David Jason episode because the podcast was inspired by her and my relationship with her. So that was really special. Um, unfortunately, she died. So there's, there's quite a lot of reasons this podcast has been on pause since then. Um, some have just been trying to manage it and the other managing my nan's decline. And grieving essentially and so it's been really strange uh, as I sit here now we've, re- we've lost um, the Queen uh, Queen Elizabeth II and her funeral is in a few days time and she's lying in state at this moment and some people have called her the nation's grandmother never saw myself as a massive royalist but my nan apparently was a big lover of the royal family so my mum tells me my granddad was a member of the royal guards and wore one of the kind of busby hats bearskin hats and used to march and it was some of those soldiers which carried the Queen to uh, to her resting place in state just a couple of days ago from when I'm recording this. So uh, at this point I wanted to return to the podcast and to kind of get things going again but before I could I, I had to do this episode so there's a much longer version of this podcast which has been for my family with that whole recording which I'm really glad I did. I think I could hear my own voice at the time that I was doing it at Christmas, maybe a bit hungover after staying with my family. We start with more energy than we sort of fizzle out to. Um, but I'm so glad to get it recorded. And it's been surreal. Although I've been grieving my grandmother for months now, the fact I had one last conversation to turn to has been really heartening. Um, so what I've done for this podcast episode, this very special episode of Time of My Life, uh, although it's not with a celebrity, it's not with an actor, it is with my grandmother. And I've tried to cherry pick some of the moments where I think 
people that didn't know her and weren't lucky enough to know her could perhaps learn something from her. Uh, there's highlights, there's, there's good moments, there's, there's, there's darker moments and sadder moments um, and it's going to be quite a quick episode. And so what I'll try and do is kind of paint the picture into those stories so it's a little bit different than normal to give you a bit of context and what I think you might be able to take away from it. And then at the end, something that I've never done before, maybe not since school, is uh, a poem. So on the day that my grandmother was due to be cremated, I couldn't sleep, I guess understandably, and I, I was awake in the middle of the night and uh, it's a poem it just kind of came to me and I started writing it and it was just for me uh, and I got halfway through and I just kept writing and writing into the early hours and I was crying, crying and writing and, and then my, um, my girlfriend woke up and then I read it to her in bits and couldn't get through it and then I read it again and recorded it and sent it to my mother and sister and I've never shared it with anyone before and my girlfriend said that uh, I should. Um, uh, the only other time I kind of sh shared it in a way was at Glastonbury Festival in, in 2022 and they kind of did this Lotus installation where people that lost people during the pandemic um, wrote messages, uh, people that lost people, things time, jobs, livelihoods, um, kind of cast it into this big lotus that was collated together and then um, then set aflame on the Sunday. Uh, while we haven't been able to have a, a memorial service for my grandmother for various reasons, uh, that was kind of my way of saying goodbye to her and I think hopefully this podcast episode um, will be that as well for our kind of final conversation but hopefully as this podcast began and the reason I did it was to share life lessons from from older people and I don't think you have to be a celebrity and, and uh, famous around the world to have something important to say and something that can help other people and I guess all I would say if you take anything away from this podcast I was very very blessed to have such a close relationship with my grandmother and I think if you've got grandparents or, or parents or, or people that you really value in your life um, I think it takes, it takes some time to, to make the most of them I think and I was very very lucky to be able to do that when we knew the kind of end was in sight with my grandmother especially during the pandemic I kind of said in the first episode that my grandmother was like a piece of living history to me and I think that is some way that the grandparents are and they're like a time capsule of time and time is changing so much and people speak about the fact we're living through history you know we've lost the queen we've had brexit we've had the pandemic we've had so much happen we've got you know floods all over the world global warming it feels the war in ukraine it feels like the world is moving at a million miles a minute and i think uh, if you can take that time to appreciate your elders and just get a conversation and maybe you want to record it like this yourself uh, i'd suggest that you do because i'm really really glad to have had that it's been a great comfort to me so, welcome to Time of My Life with me, Lawrence Mozafari. Um, in case you don't know me, I'm a, I'm a journalist, uh, I'm a podcaster and presenter from London, and I had loved and loved my grandmother, and this is her.
master said to him, oh, that's Edie Icky. He misheard and he thought, he said, Nicky. So that's where I got my name. That's why I'm called Nicky. <laughs> From then on, I was called Nicky. And that name stuck, because I never liked Edie anyway. I didn't. And I've never used it. Even though I like it now, for Edith, it sounds a nice name. Yeah, yeah. Edith, when you see it. Because I was named after my mother. That was Edith Hickey, her maiden name. Her married name was Edith Gullet eventually, but she was christened Edith Hickey. And as you heard there, one of her first boyfriends completely misheard her name the first few times he met her. And he thought her name was Nikki. And she told me in the full conversation that she didn't realise till they were at the Wimbledon Palais, I think, one night in London. And he just wrote uh, Nikki on her coat. And he was, she was like, oh, that's why he's been calling me Nikki all along. And it stuck. And, yeah, she called herself Nikki for the rest of her life. Ch- changed her name just for friends, um, but never, never officially. After this, uh, my nan, she goes on to talk about her very earliest memory. And it's such a small, simple, sweet little thing, but... I think there's maybe something there to think about making the most of the small moments and how sometimes there's great pleasure in simple things. I remember sitting on the bed with my mum and I was playing with her handbag, which in those days were very large. I wasn't aware, it was this large bag and I was playing with it and she said to me, and I was trying to undo the clasp and she said to me, why don't you open it and see what's inside? I couldn't open it. So she, she said, you try hard enough and it'll open because there might be a surprise in there for you. And, and I looked in there, there was all these things in there. And I came across this bar of chocolate. And I think it was the first bar of chocolate I've always remembered. And it was a Milky Way in a, a mauve wrapper. I was all excited, I'd never seen a bar of chocolate. And I said, oh, oh. And she said, uh, it's yours. Oh. And I always remember that. My nan was born in the 1930s in London and she lived through the Blitz. She had older brothers, Paddy, Jimmy and Ronnie, who, well, some of who all went to go and serve in the army during the Second World War. Um, and she speaks briefly about some of their incredible stories and to be honest hearing them it it feels like it could be something out of a film or a completely different family because they're just so far away from my generation and and from knowing them because I was so young she speaks about being evacuated and her house being bombed and I think like so many stories from the war from the blitz there's you know there's messages of resilience and, and things like that and some people talk about it being you know Britain's finest hour but I think it was just quite a window into just it was, times were really hard and a lot of people live through that maybe some of your family members might have lived through that without you realizing and I think this is I kind of goes back to Quint essentially the the thing I talked about at the top of the podcast of people being living history and you might not even realize there might be incredible stories of your grandparents friends nans uncles that are locked away in there you might not even know and I think a much smaller scale more personal tied to that that your family has is, is really special so please do ask those questions but here is mine and here's the story of my nan being evacuated and her brothers in the war what was it like growing up around that time we lived there 
till the war broke out. When the war broke out, I was evacuated with my <coughs> Jimmy and my Wally, two of my brothers. The other two were in the, eventually going to the forces. Ronnie, the little one, he volunteered. He volunteered at 16 to go in the army. But when they discovered later that he was only 16, he, had to, he, he couldn't carry on because he had to be 18. Where, where were you evacuated to? Somerset, Stoke under Ham, Somerset. And we were there for two and a half years. And in the middle of the war, my mother was bombed out, bombed out several times. From several different homes or? Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, several homes we had. And, but, uh, but eventually it took a direct hit. My brother, my mother was down a shelter, the Anderson shelter, which was across the road. And uh, my brother always stayed in the house with the, with the, one of the neighbours from upstairs. They used to stay together, sort of, you know, they didn't want to go down the shelter. And it took a direct hit that night. And uh, my brother was buried. My brother was buried. And he was buried for uh, nearly two days. Yeah. Yeah. But he was alive. Which brother was that? Paddy, the Paddy. eldest one. Because the eldest one stayed with my mother because my father was night work. But the idea was my, my father always used to say to me, Mum, we've got to be apart for when the children come home. So at least one of us is there because uh, bomb, uh, London's got a really heavy bombing. It was really bad, really, really bad. And they were in the heart of it, really. And eventually, uh, when the when Surrey Villas was bombed to the ground, and my mum's mother said to her, it's about time you left. And she said, you go and stay with your sister who lives in Surrey. And she was able to put her name down for a council, or for a house. Then she could have us home. And that's where I grew up until I got married. But then it was the war was still going on, and but then it was the uh, doodle bugs, the doodle bugs and the rockets. So we experienced that during the war. So really, uh, we didn't ha really have a what you could say a happy childhood because it was a fear of being killed. Yeah, really. Also, it affected your education as well, because when the do when uh, the rockets started, they uh, the doodle bugs you never heard coming. They just you used to hear the drone, and then the next thing was the explosion. So in that silence, that's when people we was all, where's it? You could always see them, you know, and when the rockets occurred, then you'd never heard at all until the big explosion and because they were so ir uh, irregular the water used to be on for all day and night so you was in a like being a war zone the whole of the time so when we went to school we spent nearly all our school days 
in a shelter, just coming out for a little bit of play. Mm. So we were really in a, a brick shelter, learning whatever we could. And when we was evacuated for those two and a half years, uh, because the schools were crowded and uh, all the regulars had to be taught, so <coughs> we used to take alternate. One week we'd, do, we'd be there in the morning, so it was either mornings or afternoons. We didn't have all day schooling. Uh, my Ronnie, that was the second to the eldest, he uh, joined the army, as I say, when he was 16. He was in the Royal West Kent, he was in several units until he volunteered when they, uh, during the height of the war, combined operations. It was for volunteers, for special forces, they were special, and uh, they were called commandos. And he joined that. He was made prisoner of war. They were he was captured with a friend. He did the D-Day landings. He was one of the, the first crew, those ones went in first. They were very young really to be seeing all the bodies and all his mates, you know, being killed and not very pleasant, not very pleasant. Amazing, he survives really going through everything. Yes, he survived the prisoner of war camp and it was towards the end of the war. No Red Cross parcels were getting through. so. For six, he was only held for six months, luckily. And luckily he is alive because he was interrogated by the uh, SS. Because in it, they, before they were caught, when they knew they were in enemy territory, they'd gone too far. They stripped themselves of all their ranks mm. because had they have known who he was, they were, him and his mate, uh, and the others that were, were caught they would be shot, absolutely shot. And uh, he was uh, held with a gun through his thing. Because I only know this from my father, my mum through my father, because he ne they, they never talked about these men, but he, he, they did to their fathers. Mm. Otherwise I wouldn't have known anything what happened to them really. That's why my Ronnie did what he did at the end of the day. He was. Uh, he couldn't settle when he came. I never recognised him when he came home because of all the weight he'd lost. And uh, his spirit was broken. He was, um, they were saying, no. No, he was never the same. How did your other brother, and, how did your other brother Paddy, Paddy, yeah. Paddy, he, my eldest brother, he was, um, in the Air Force, flying in Lancaster's. He wasn't the pilot, he was an, an engineer. And he was a warrant officer, became a warrant officer. And uh, he was doing the heavy bombing over Germany, night after night after night. He was stationed in India, sorry, in India, Chittagong. And uh, when they had a direct hit uh, in the bomb, you know, being shy. He, he never learnt to swim, he never swam, ever. So he couldn't swim. And when they had to ditch the plane, he wouldn't leave the plane. He wanted to go down the plane. Because when they, they were ready to sort of jump, it was all mist, 
you know, no light of wood is where there's all of it. But he took it as he thought it was the sea. <laughs> and, he, and when he tells the story, he always uh, makes a joke of it. And he said, No, I said, he, he said, I was a light, me and the pilot were the last lead. And he said, And I tried to push him out first. He said, No, I'm coming. And he had no intention to go, really, because he didn't want to go out there and swim, because he knew that he'd never, you know, he wanted to go that way. <laughs> but anyway, he said, no, Paddy, you've got to go. You've got to go. You've got to go before me. And he jumped. And he said, I was trying to climb back up. He was a comedian. No, Abby, he was very dry. <laughs> he said, I wanted to climb back up his shoe. But as it turned out, it was a wood. As he got closer and closer, and so of course his parachute got caught in a tree, apparently, when he tells you about it. And he had to make his own way back wherever he was from, uh, wherever he came down, to uh, get back to his unit, which he did, and it took him uh, months and months. After the war, one of my nan's brothers ended up working as uh, a mortician, or effectively a, a grave digger, and uh, this kind of story, really small story moment came up, which he was chatting to my granddad for the first time, I believe, and uh, accidentally makes this offhand pun, which was just nice. <laughs> he asked about me brother, I think, a family brother. And, uh, and he said, well, what did my Ronnie? And he said to me, he said to me, oh, so what does he do for a living then? So I said, oh, he's a grave digger. <laughs> it was true. I said, he's a grave digger, but I said, he's worked his way up. <laughs> I said, I didn't one. I said, but he's right. <laughs> because he was now a mortuary keeper. He was in charge of the yeah. whole thing. He had gone out the ladder, really, but the way I said it, and he roared. He roared. He said, oh, he's working. <laughs> uh, the joke obviously works because my nan and granddad ended up going on their first date together. And here she talks about going to a lovely, cosy pub and uh, the barmaid um, made an assumption about them, which ended up being very true. And we went to this uh, little pub. I remember we were going there. It was called the Snug. Yeah. And there was this fire going and all that and stuff like that. And the, the barmaid that used to bring in the drinks was just the two of us because it was midwinter. Yeah. I always thought that it was all very cosy, all very nice. And I did enjoy being. I did enjoy his company. All he talked about was his work. I must admit. But remember, I've been with somebody who didn't do a lot of talking. They frosted, but Dad didn't. And, but he didn't. He talked all about his work and all that. Yeah, and I had laughs with him about that. And the woman, the girl that was the barman that kept coming, she thought we were married. Because she said, when we were leaving, she said, Oh, she joined our couple. She said, How long have you been married? <laughs> I said, We're not married. Oh, she said, Oh, I thought you were married. She took it on a social thought you were married. I thought this story was interesting on a couple of fronts. First up, as I mentioned, the, the Queen has sadly passed away and my granddad was part of the Royal Guard at one stage. Um, but I think, you know, perhaps the lesson to take from this is don't drink too much on a school night or a work day because it just never ends well. Tribute of the colour. He'd, had, he'd been out drinking the night before, which he oh. shouldn't have been. And... Uh, their hats, which is, they call them busbies, bearskin, really. bearskin yeah. 
and, and he said that because you had to be absolutely meticulous, didn't you? And it was a hot day when he did it. He was saying, no, he only ever did that once, not because of anything, but just the once he did it. And uh, and he felt rough because he'd had a bad night. And he said, but I had to do this my best, you know, the hat. So he said, what I did, he said, I got a bucket of cold water. He said, I got hold of it and I just popped, popped it, popped it in there. And then shook it, shook it, shook it, left it overnight. And then the morning, brushed it and then put it on there. He said, but it wasn't as it should have been. And but he, he said that he remembers standing there and thinking, I'm gonna go any minute. Fine, you know. But his mates were standing close to old him. And finally here, I guess this is the biggest pearl of wisdom that my, my nan had to offer when I spoke to her about what life lessons would she have or, or what would she hope for the future for her family and what advice would she have for for the future generations of our family and I guess by extension you listening and, and, and anyone. I mean, she was a big believer in the marriage and relationships and stuff. And she talks about meeting the right person. I, I don't think that relationships, you know, guarantee happiness. I'm sure I don't have to tell you that, but I think the thing that I really picked up on, uh, was talking. So I spent hours and hours talking to my nan and despite the 50, 50, 60 year age gap between us. Um, we'd have really candid conversations about, about everything growing up. And she was always really with it right to the end, which was very, very lucky to, to be the case. And she talks about the idea of opening up, speaking about your feelings, not keeping it bottled up. And for someone from such a drastically different generation, I think it's it's really right. And perhaps something a generation could have benefited from more, especially your brothers, as you spoke about. But I'm a big believer in talking about things, communication. I think anyone that knows me will know that. And uh it, it might not it might be hard a lot of the time it might be onerous it might not feel like it's going to make things better but it I think it very very rarely makes things worse and um i think the more you can talk to someone uh, people and open up and and share your feelings i think as we've seen in the the big change to in attitudes towards mental health in the last few years i think it really does help um and mental health doesn't start and stop with just talking of course but i think in terms of day to day um, it certainly can do and especially with your closest and most important relationships trying to talk things out don't keep them bottled up because they fester and get worse and then you can lose them had they have met the right people that they would have done very well in life if they'd have met their soulmate but I'm afraid we're not all lucky enough to do that have that yeah. but if one does and it lasts and they're happy, it can, it can happen. There's nothing better. I feel if, if, if in life you meet the right person and you both choose the same part or want the same things in life and you're happy together through your life, you'll have your ups and downs, but when you do, if there's anything on either of your minds or you find, oh dear, we're not getting on so well, because there'll be times when that happens. You talk about it, open up, let your feelings out rather than keep them inside. Because if you keep them inside and held, it damages you. It damages you. 
All that's left to share with you before I sign off is the poem that I wrote. Uh, so I'll leave that with you now. Um, but thank you so much for listening. I'm hoping that this is the momentum that brings me back to this podcast after a, a long pause. Um, and thank you to my nan for, for everything for years of, of being a great grandmother and second mother to me. Lived with her at, at different points in my life. I felt like I could tell her everything, and um, I think the fact I'm doing this and this conversation we've had is a testament to her and how she raised me. I think. Um, but I'll leave you with this poem. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to support this podcast and the future of it, you can hit subscribe on your platform of choice. Uh, you can tell a friend about it if you like, um, and you can also uh, support me a few other ways. I'm Lawrence Mozafari journalist on Facebook and on Instagram as Lawrence Mozafari and I've got a page for this profile for this podcast I'm building up and I'm on Twitter at Lawrence underscore Moza and there's also uh, an account for Time of My Life pod as well and um, I'm on Kofi uh, ko-fi uh, slash Lawrence Mozafari if you'd like to financially support the production of the podcast and I also can't go without saying thank you to my good friend Joshua Ferreira who produced the intro music to this podcast and the backing track as well um, but thank you so much for joining me and thanks for your time and I'll leave you with uh, my poem Dear Nan from Boy Boy to the one that I loved to the mother of my mother who cared for many a sister and brother to your books, to your glasses, to your crow-like laugh, to my peeled apples, Hannah's drumming and Grandad's fish in the bath. To the longest of talks and hours of scrabble, to screaming long fights between our tiny loving rabble. To hours of games, to not spelling my names, I can still picture you in those giant glasses frames. To you, dear Edith, who helped teach me to be a man, to the grandest of mothers, to my sweet caring nan. To Nikki the Hickey, a woman who changed her own name. Secondly, to Gullet, I'm broken, we can't speak again. Evacuated you were and saved from a world war, a piece of history you are and shall be forevermore. She spoke as she found to the little brains of Britain you'll know I'll always cherish the letters we've written. From babies to a graduation, the things you have seen, you sat in your front room and watched the world change on a screen. We'd put the world to rights for hours on end. Who knew a nan could be like a best friend? We jumped as kids so loudly in that room upstairs. Years later, Hannah would come to cut your grey hairs. Why is my memory like a sieve? The moments are fading, of you, our talks, of the life that we live. I can still hear your voice calling out in my head. I remember the Sandman song you sang to me in bed. Then wheels on the bus, together we sang. Two years later and our phone calls, you could barely hear me when I rang. I'll always remember when you stopped using the stairs. To a chair you were bound, where you handled all your affairs. You aged in a second, from sticks to Zimmer, 
hearing fading, sunglasses on and a body that was thinner. Han was not well and we had some years that were hell, but by God she recovered and things became swell. But I'll always remember when you, then mum, then I cooked dinner, to the time I came to live with you when in adulthood I was just a beginner. I had teenage growth spurts and a bad knee that still hurts. You were so good to me and taught me to iron shirts. I needed that year, from driving to waitrose to a girlfriend to nights out. He's far too young for all that, is what you were thinking, no doubt. To my number one fan, even bigger of Han, I used to joke that you drove David's day van. <laughs> you loved your daughter. I know that through and through. In the kingdom of heaven, you'll see all the things she did for you. We didn't always see eye to eye, and in this moment we'll cry. But in years to come, we'll cherish our goodbye. You came down by the sea to end your last day. What a blessing, the gift of time, despite the bills you did pay. To my grandmother, to my nan, to Edith, to Gran, to a mother of mother who loves sister and brother, I don't pray, but please God, I beg you, help us recover. This breaks me to write as I lay awake at night. Your memories, your visage, it, it fades from my sight. You'll live on always, you taught us what was right. Your stories, your memories will hold them so tight. To values you passed on, to every Tom Jones song, to the times we argued, we made peace, we were wrong. What else can I say? To Nan, I love you always. You made our life bright. And one more thing, as you used to say, Nanai. No, no.